Let's look at Luke chapter 15, and we'll be starting in verse 11. Our sermon this morning, we'll be hearing about Jonah, who in some ways is very similar to this prodigal son trying to run away from God. So listen to these verses here, verse 11 to the end of the chapter. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never obeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. Let's pray as we prepare to hear from God. Lord, we pray now that as we hear from your word and the reading and preaching, that you would open our eyes, you would take away the scales from our eyes, open our blind eyes and our stopped up ears. Lord, we pray that you would be at work also in our hearts, that you would soften our hearts, so that when we hear what you have said, that we would love to do what you have commanded. Lord, we pray for understanding and love. And we pray this because we know that you want us to understand your word. You want us to love you and to be more like Jesus. And we pray that you would do these things through your powerful Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray alone. Amen. This morning we're beginning a new series in the book of Jonah. We'll be looking at it over the the summer months. 
We're going to start this morning with Jonah chapter 1, but as you turn there, think about what the, the book of Jonah is about as a whole. I think most of us are probably familiar with the story, but we may actually miss the message and significance of the book. Really, what we see in Jonah is we see the gospel. We see the gospel so clearly as we see Jonah running away from God and being called back to lead to the salvation of God's enemies, the Ninevites. We see the gospel and we see even more clearly Jonah as a type of Christ. He's pointing forward in his message and in his own life. He is pointing forward to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself points back to Jonah Think about what he says in Matthew 12, when the Pharisees and the scribes, they come up to challenge him to look for a sign. Jesus says they're going to get one sign, and it's the sign of Jonah, the sign of death, of resurrection, and of judgment for unbelief. So Jesus sees himself clearly in the book of Jonah. But as we see the whole book, the whole message of Jonah is teaching us first and foremost, really, about the character of God. We see his sovereignty, his control, his power, his plan being worked out no matter what we're doing. But we also see God's saving love, that God loves to save sinners. And he wants us to show that same kind of love for the people that are around us. So that's kind of the big picture of where we're going to be going in the next few weeks. But right now, let's just focus on Jonah chapter 1. Let's read the whole chapter together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life 
and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What we see in this passage is that God, God is at work, and God graciously and powerfully pursues sinners and sinning saints to bring salvation. It's important we keep both of those in mind, sinners and sinning saints. We'll see both of them here. That remember, God is at work, and what he is doing is he is graciously and powerfully pursuing sinners and sinning saints to bring salvation. So we look at this passage, we'll see three basic points. First, we'll see Jonah's sin, verses 1 through 3. And second, we'll see God's gracious judgment in verses 4 to 10. And third and finally, we'll see God's unexpected salvation in verses 11 to 17. The passage opens with Jonah's sin. We see that very clearly in the opening verses. Now, the, the book begins like so many other Old Testament prophecies with God's message for his prophet. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah is not just a nobody getting this message. He's actually a well-known prophet in Israel. According to 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, God had spoken through Jonah that the borders of Israel would be restored. And that is exactly what happened under their king. But Jonah this time receives a very different kind of message. It's a message of God's judgment against the city of Nineveh for their great evil. If you know anything about Nineveh, you know it's Assyrian and Assyrians and this time are known for being evil and wicked. They're actually known for their cruelty, especially to the people they capture. You would think that an Israelite like Jonah then would be glad to hear that the people of Nineveh were finally going to be judged by God. Any other person in Israel would say, finally, those sinners are getting what they deserve. But something is very wrong, right? Jonah has received this clear command from God, and instead of going to Nineveh, he runs away. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them away from the presence of the Lord. Tarshish is a long way away from Israel. It's basically as far as you could get by ship away. It's modern-day Spain. And it's like what Jonah is doing is he is trying to go to the ends of the earth to get away from God's command. Nineveh is this way. You can think of, you can see the wheels turning in Jonah's mind. Nineveh is this way, so I'm going to go that way as far as I can. Think about what, what Jonah is really doing here. Think about how committed he is to his disobedience. It's not like he's just going to the next town, it's not like he's even going to the next country. He's putting money and time and resources to get as far away from God as he can. And notice the repeated emphasis in these verses. He is trying to get away from God. Jonah ran away from the presence of the Lord. 
running away from the presence of the Lord is actually so much more important than the place Jonah runs to. Jonah is trying to run away from his relationship with God. That's what's happening. That's what running away from the presence of the Lord really means. You know, last week we looked at Psalm 27, and in that psalm we saw the blessing of being in God's presence. It meant having fellowship with God. You know, we, we experience God's presence every day, but especially in worship on Sunday. We saw that so clearly. We're meeting with God right now. This is being in God's presence. And this is exactly what Jonah did not want. He didn't want to be anywhere near God. He took that great blessing and he threw it away. But that makes sense. It makes sense what Jonah does because when you are disobeying God, being in his presence is the last place you want to be. Having fellowship with God is the last thing you want because when God is with you, he confronts you in your sin. He confronts you with who he is and what he has commanded you to do. Jonah here has chosen to disobey God's word and he has chosen to flee from God's presence. Those are serious sins. And they are also costly sins. They are extremely costly for Jonah. It's costly because of his position. Think about who he is. He is a prophet. He is given a great privilege to speak God's word to Israel and to the world. And with greater responsibility comes greater condemnation for his sin. But Jonah's sin is also costly because of what he gives up. We just looked at it. He is giving up fellowship with God and with his people. He's giving up worship. He's giving up blessing. He's giving up spiritual growth to go and do what he wants to do instead. I wonder if any of you know what it's like to try to run away from God. Knowing some of you, I do know that in your life you've experienced that. Maybe it was a period of rebellion earlier in your life when you, when you didn't want to live by God's rules. So you tried to walk away from God's word and God's presence. How'd that go? What did that feel like? Do you remember what that felt like? You didn't want to be reading the Bible. You didn't want to be in church. You didn't want to be around Christian friends because each of those things would be reminding you that you are living in sin, trying to run away from God. But actually, we all know what that feels like. We all know what that feels like because we all run away from God. We do it all the time. We are all Jonah's in our own ways. Let me prove it to you. When was the last time that God convicted you of something that you really didn't want to be convicted of? Do you remember what that felt like? Something that you knew that you were doing that was wrong or something that you knew, well, I really should be doing that, but I'm not. Did you feel a struggle about obeying God in that moment? Did you not really want God to be saying that particular thing? Because you felt it hit home. Did you try to ignore what God was saying to you? That was you being Jonah, trying to get away from God and what he has told us. Yet the root of our sin is that we don't want God to be God. That's why we're trying to run away from him. We don't want God to be God. And we see that in a very dramatic way in the life of Jonah. Because Jonah does all of these things because he knows who God is and he doesn't like it. God's words to Jonah are a message of judgment to Nineveh. But Jonah knows God well enough to know that God is a gracious God as well and that he may actually forgive Nineveh for all of those terrible sins. Jonah actually says that later in chapter 4. As he looks out at Nineveh, that's not being destroyed. Jonah says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Those words in chapter 4 are the saddest words in the entire book of Jonah. Jonah knew that God might forgive Nineveh. So he tried to stop God from doing that by running away. Jonah tried to stop God from saving sinners. Just let that sink in for a moment. Jonah tried to stop God from saving sinners. If you look at it that way, Jonah's sin is much, much worse than simple obedience to God's command. Jonah is trying to force God to do things his way instead of letting God be sovereign and the loving God that he actually is. Jonah is in deep water. What does God do with him? Does God just let him go? Say, I'm washing my hands of you, Mr. Rebellious Prophet. I'll pick somebody else to accomplish my mission. Or does God show his justice and just strike Jonah down? That's what he deserves. Well, actually, we see God doesn't do either of those. We see, second off, God's gracious judgment in verses 4 to 10. We may be very familiar with what happens next. God sends this great storm, and Jonah's boat almost sinks. But don't miss why God does that. Why does God send the storm? Why does he drive this boat to the very edge of existence? He's certainly judging Jonah for his disobedience. But this is a gracious judgment because everything that God does in this chapter is designed to show that he's powerful, but also that he is gracious. He's showing his power and his grace to Jonah to bring him back. And he's also showing his power and grace to the sailors to bring them to faith for the first time. We see God's sovereignty so clearly here. Look at verse 4. The Lord is the one who sent this great storm. He is, he is sovereignly controlling nature to accomplish his purposes. And the storm he, that he sends must have been a great storm. The ship, the actual ship, is about to break up. They will be drowning very soon if nothing changes. These sailors are seasoned sailors, and notice how they respond. They basically give up hope. They throw everything of value overboard. They're willing to risk all that money to save themselves, and they are scared. They've seen many storms before, but now they're scared. And when they're scared, they cry out to their gods. You're meant to see a contrast here because the frantic activity and the fear of the sailors is really a strong contrast to Jonah. What does Jonah do this whole time? But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. He's not doing anything. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Of all the people on that ship that day, Jonah would have been the one who would have been able to offer the most help because he would have seen that this is God's hand at work and he would have prayed to God for help. But Jonah sleeps. It's true, Jonah is tired. It must have been a hard trip. But there's a bigger point being made. Jonah is spiritually sleepy. He is not aware yet of the depths of his own sin, and he is not willing to face the depths of God's judgment on him. Jonah's spiritual sleepiness actually continues even when he's wide awake. 
all the way through these verses about God's judgment, God gives Jonah opportunity after opportunity to repent and turn back to him. You can see God's grace, and Jonah keeps turning his back. Think about this. The captain begs Jonah, begs Jonah to pray to his God. doesn't look like Jonah listens. Then the sailors, they have to cast lots to find out on whose account this evil has come upon us. They have to do that because Jonah doesn't freely admit his own sin. You can imagine, just think about it. That terrible feeling as they're all gathered together and Jonah realizes that that lot is going to fall on him. God is graciously, sovereignly driving his prophet into a corner to see his sin. But Jonah still doesn't respond rightly. When he finally does speak, when he tells the sailors what he's done, he actually has a very orthodox-sounding confession of faith, but he never mentions his sin. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. But it's actually the sailors who recognize his problem. If that's the God you serve, they're telling him, if that's the God you serve, what is this that you have done by running away from his presence? The pagan sailors recognize the folly of Jonah's sin before Jonah himself does. Jonah here serves as a warning to us. He serves as a warning of the depths of our own sin. If we don't think that we could ever be like Jonah, we could ever get to that point of ignoring God's commands and then ignoring God's gracious and painful judgments, then we do not know ourselves and our own sin. It's the same thing that Peter did. Peter said, I will never deny you, Christ. Just a few hours later, he denied him three times. What Jonah found out and what Peter did as well is spiritual pride. And we need to see that in ourselves as well. All of our right theology, all of our true worship, our good activities, they can sometimes re- hide the real state of our hearts. So we need, to, we need to actually look at Jonah as a warning. But we also need to look at God. And look at God more clearly because God is sovereign. And God lovingly works toward his sinning children. We can actually see the sovereignty of God so clearly in his judgment of Jonah God is literally moving heaven and earth to bring Jonah back to himself. That is amazing power and amazing love to bring just one person, just one person, Jonah, back to himself. And think about this. God uses Jonah's own rebellion to bring about Jonah's repentance. Now, if you look at the situation from Jonah's perspective, everything up to this point has gone pretty well. He came up with this great plan to run away, He's the one who found the ship. They even got out to sea. Everything was going well. His plan had succeeded, but it wasn't his plan because all of this was part of God's plan. It was God's plan to put Jonah into a position where he had no other option but to face God and to face his own sin. And things are about to get a whole lot worse for Jonah. So it's helpful to remember here that God's judgment of Jonah is part of his fatherly love for Jonah. The book of Hebrews talks about God's loving discipline of us as his children. This story here may seem like extreme discipline, but God knows the depths of Jonah's sin, and he is doing exactly what is necessary to bring him back to himself. But that actually leads us to our third and final point, where we see God's unexpected salvation in verses 11 to 17. 
As we go forward, Jonah now realizes the spiritual seriousness of the situation. So when the sailors ask him what to do, this is what he says. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah isn't trying to get out of his sin here by dying. No, when he says this, he's actually recognizing that he has a serious sin. A sin like his deserves the death penalty. Jonah finally submits to God's judgment on himself because he recognizes his own sin. The pagan sailors need to remove the sinner from among them and they will be physically saved. But notice they don't want to do that. They are desperately trying to row back to land and God stops them when the storm gets so much worse. So they're kind of stuck. What do they do? Well, they pray to the Lord and they throw Jonah into the sea. And it's actually worth looking at the sailor's prayer here for a moment. They say, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. It's a very striking prayer from pagan sailors. Because at this point, their hearts are starting to change. You can see the seeds of faith in that prayer. They recognize God's power and justice and sovereignty in what he has done for them and for Jonah. And what they are are beginning to understand about God is then dramatically illustrated and their faith dramatically increases in response. So, So they pick up Jonah, they throw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Complete calm. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They feared a great fear. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Because what they have seen is that God is graciously, powerfully true to his word through Jonah. They've seen God's word in their own lives. And the sailors respond to God's word in worship. I think the sailors have true faith. They go from calling out to their own gods in verse 5 to only worshiping the Lord together in verse 15. Sure, they would need to learn a lot more, but they have the basics. They know God is the powerful and holy God of all creation who deals with our sin. You know, the sailor's salvation is completely unexpected. And I mean that both physically and spiritually. They're saved from sure destruction in a storm, but also think about who they are. They are pagans far from God. They almost die because of God's judgment, and instead of the judgment they should receive too... For their sin, they are saved. They are saved by God, interestingly, because of the serious sin of God's prophet. God really works in mysterious ways to bring salvation. So the sailors go from knowing almost nothing to God to learning so much. But Jonah also needs to learn a whole lot more about God. Jonah knows God's justice. He's seen that in his own life in these past 24 hours but he's also about to experience God's mercy as well. Look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is unexpected salvation. Being swallowed by a fish is probably the most unexpected event in the entire story, right? God sends this fish to swallow Jonah And that is surprising, but there's something even more surprising, something even more expected than the salvation from death. And that is this, God saves Jonah at all. 
We'll see in chapter 2 that Jonah prayed for God to help him as he sank under the water, but Jonah knows very clearly, Jonah knows that God would be just to kill him. God would be just to just leave him in the water to drown because of his sin. But what is so unexpected is that God doesn't do that. Really, the key to God's gracious dealing with with Jonah all the way through this chapter is found in God's name. Look at what he says. Did you notice that every time God is referred to, he is the Lord. He is the covenant God. He is the Lord who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love toward his people. He is all those things toward Jonah, and he is all those things toward you and me. It's because of who God is that he doesn't abandon Jonah or kill him for his sin. It's not because Jonah was such a great believer or such a powerful prophet. He clearly wasn't any of those things. And it's not because Jonah did the right things and repented. He has not repented yet when he gets thrown into the sea. No, God graciously saved Jonah because he wanted to, because that's who he is. And he saved him to accomplish his plan to use him for the salvation of many more sinners, not just the sailors, but also the men and women of Nineveh. This entire chapter is such a clear picture of the gospel. This is pointing us to Jesus Christ because each one of us deserves God's judgment for our sin. Even what seems like a little sin to us deserves God's death penalty. You and I should be the ones who are thrown off the boat with Jonah because of the things that we have done, because of our own sin. We should be in that storm facing the full wrath of our, from our God. What we, what we find when we face God as sinners is so much worse than this storm on the sea. And that's where we should be standing face to face with a holy God who we have offended, we have sinned against, we've rebelled against. And this is where we see the grace and love of God in Jesus Christ, because that is not true for us. Because if we trust in Jesus Christ and his work for us, then we will never experience that. We will never experience God's judgment and wrath for our sins, because Jesus did it for us. Jesus took our sins on himself, and he died in our place. And that means you and I can be forgiven in Christ. To put it another way, Jesus is the one who went through the storm of God's judgment. And it wasn't because of his own sin. He shouldn't have been there. He's the only perfect person. And he did it because of us. And think about his experience of God's wrath. When he sank down under God's wrath, there was no escape from death and wrath for him. There was no way out. God didn't appoint anyone else or anything else to save him. And the reason God the Father did that and Jesus the Son agreed to do that is so that Jesus could save Jonah and Jesus could save you and me. Do you see the love of Jesus Christ for sinners just like you and me? And not just for sinners outside of Christ, but for sinning saints just like you and me because day by day we walk away from God and day by day Jesus pulls us back He calls us back to himself because of his work for us on the cross. Where does this passage leave us? This passage leaves us with praise. It really does as we see the amazing love and salvation of God. Do you pray this way? 
Do you pray in light of what has happened to someone like Jonah and what has happened to you? And I mean daily, moment by moment, are you praying for God to be bringing back you to himself? Are you praying for his mercy to be poured out on you because you need it? Do you know you need it? Do you pray that for others, believers or unbelievers? Do you pray for God to be at work powerfully in their lives? But also we have those prayers, we have that reminder of his grace, and we also see God's power because you and I can never out God's grace. I hope that none of us have gotten as far away as God as Jonah, as Jonah did, especially with all the privileges that he had with a, as a prophet, and especially with the privileges that we have as the people of God. But God here makes it so clear, and I want to leave you with this. God makes it so clear that he is able and loves, notice, he's able to do it, and he loves to forgive and restore his people. It doesn't mean he loves our sin. Don't treat God's grace as an excuse to keep on sinning. Don't keep doing that. But God does love us in Christ and will bring us to repentance and restoration. You know, God offers that kind of forgiveness and that kind of fellowship to everyone who will call on the name of the Lord. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. If you realize that you have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, you can also know that you are not too far away for God's grace. God commands you to come in faith, no matter what you've done, no matter what your life is like, no matter all the past or even the the future, God calls you to come in faith and you will be saved. What we see in Jonah 1 is we see great sin, but we see that we have a greater God and a greater Savior in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we see so clearly in the life of Jonah, but we can see it in our own lives as well that you have given us a great salvation. And you've given us a great salvation because you are a great Savior. You are the one who is working all things according to the counsel of your own will. You are the one who is working all things for the good of those who have been called by you. We thank you that you are the one who is powerful and loving, that you have saved us and you keep bringing us back to yourself as we wander away from you. We pray, Lord, though, that you would increase our obedience, that you would increase our love, that you would show us so clearly how much you love us and that you would have us serve you and to encourage others and to spread the message of your free and powerful salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for what you have done for us and the privilege of serving you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.